Look with me in chapter number 8. Put your finger there and then we're going to run over a couple of things and then we will uh, read down through a few of these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. We'll do a speed course and get all of the adults uh, picked up on where we were, all right? Okay, why I believe what I believe. Bible is a sole authority, autonomy of the local church. That means we rule ourselves, priesthood of the believer, two ordinances. What are the two ordinances that we as uh, Baptists partake of? We did one of them Sunday night. What? Communion. Communion and... All right, and baptism, all right. Okay, individual soul liberty is where we are right now. What is individual soul liberty? Mm. What, is, what is individual soul liberty? It, it, it has to do, it's only for Christian people, those who have accepted Christ, their personal Savior. Brandon, what? No, that's priesthood of the believer. That was up too. Good, good guess, though. All right. Good guess. Aiden? You have the right to, to, the, to make choices to serve God the right way. Absolutely. Okay? Say baptized church membership, two offices, which are deacon and pastor. All right? And then separation, and there are several aspects of that. All right. Individual soul liberty defined in a technical theological sense. The right, so far as any human intervention is concerned, of every soul to approach God and interpret God for himself. Now, one thing that we don't pick up in there, all right, in that definition, is this idea that I can do whatever I want to, all right? And a lot of people will take Christian soul liberty, and they say, hey, you know what? I can do whatever I want to. That's not true. Individual soul liberty is this idea that nobody else can tell you how you have to approach God, what you have to do to serve God. But it doesn't mean that this book cannot tell you what you have to. In fact, teenagers, we went over this last week, and we'll hit on a couple of things that Pastor Jacob did a good job with. Pastor Jacob's glad I'm preaching tonight, not last week. I got back in the middle of the service last week, and I was told that I was the worst student in the whole class, all right? That I raised my hand and asked way too many questions, and he's up here nodding his head back and forth, all right? And so, but he, he and I have been swapping back and forth as we've dealt with all these topics. Topics, and he has done an absolutely fabulous job uh, covering many of them. All right, but here, here is kind of the, the premise or the way that we have laid things down as we deal with this idea of individual soul liberty, okay? That there is kind of the, the top echelon because, again, we're working off that premise that it's the ability that I have without any other human intervention to go to God the way that I see I ought to, okay? And so we have Bible commands. What is a Bible command? I'll tell you what, let me, let me, let me give you all five of these right here, and then we'll, that way you can kind of differentiate between them, okay? So, top, most important, Bible command. What did you say, Brendan? Okay, where the Bible specifically says, thou shalt or thou shalt not. And there are a lot of areas where the Bible says, thou shalt. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I don't think there's much negotiation there, all right? The Bible says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Um, I don't think there's much negotiation there, okay? But then we come across other topics where we have Bible principles. What, what's the difference between a Bible command and a Bible principle? 
Teens have been doing a good job answering these questions. Adults, some of you, you didn't want to raise your hand during the missions quiz either. I'm telling you. What, what, what's the difference between a Bible command and a Bible principle? Ms. Deb, did you say you wanted to raise your hand? Is that what you were saying over there? <laughs> okay, it does not, it, it does not say there, there are things in the Bible where they don't specifically deal with, like you will not, if you go through, you're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where it says go to the movie theater or don't go to the movie theater, okay? You're not going to find that. In scripture, because well, you know, back when back when the Bible was written, there were no movie theaters. All right, but there are principles in Scripture that help us deal with all of those things. And uh, well, let's take Psalm 101, verse number three. Okay, the Bible says, "I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside; they shall not cleave to me." Okay, so let me ask you this: If I'm going to take that Bible principle. Thou set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. They'll not cleave to me. Let's put a little bit of definition in that, okay? The Bible says there in the middle of that verse, okay, it says, I hate the work of them that turn aside. The, the definition, the idea of work is something that is made, something that is done, the process of doing something, okay? So I hate the creation, the efforts, the end result of people who turn aside. Well, who are, who are the people that turn aside? The Bible, the, 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 as you search out that word, what it means is it means to swerve. It means if somebody, if I'm serving God with my life, and I'm going from here, and that's God's will for my life, that I hate anything that somebody processes, puts together, does, that is going to make me swerve out of the way. And maybe I'll eventually get back by asking God. But if I swerve out of the way, I hate that stuff. And then, then he, uh, the psalmist David goes back and says, it will not cleave. It's not going to hold on to. It's not going to stick to me. So help me out. What principle, going back to what we said, that the Bible doesn't say anything about movies, but I take that verse that I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It will not cleave to me. What are some principles that we could say that that will help us in our choices of entertainment? Movies, music, you know, the whole, the whole gamut of things, places that I go. So shout out some Bible principles that will help us with that. What are some things that I wouldn't do because of why? Okay, I'm going to avoid the appearance of evil. All right? And so I don't want somebody to even assume that I'm doing wrong things, okay? Okay, well, let's go back, though. The Bible tells us back in Psalms chapter 20, or I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 20, that we just talked about it, and the, or we just mentioned this idea that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. All right? That word vain means empty, and an empty expression where it's just, a, it's just an expulsion that comes out. It means nothing. Is that going to affect the music that we listen to, the movies that we watch? And how many of us we just, are just going to put our heads down and say, ugh? But yet that's what a Christian does. And a Bible principle is where I take a piece of God's Word that can apply in many instances, and I say, you know what? It may not say, thou shalt not watch this movie because it has this. Thou shalt not listen to that style of music or that specific song. I can't, I can't tell the teenagers or adults, I can't tell you, don't listen. If I had to say just this song and this song and this song, we're, we're working in the office uh, on a, between the pastoral staff, we're working on a, on a music um, guidelines for the church, you know. Why? Because we want to be clear. Um, 
pastor has a different preference on music than I have. Well, Jacob has a different preference than, on music than pastor has. Some of you have a different preference on music than, than pastor Weems or pastor Barron or me or, I mean, pastor and Ouija have different preferences. Christy and I have different preferences on music. But here's the thing. We want to hit a common denominator where nothing that is done here at church is wrong. You have to answer to God. That's where Christian liberty comes in. And Christian liberty says, as long as it doesn't violate biblical principles or a Bible command, then I have some freedom to choose. And you may like twangy music, or you may like high music, you know, and violins and all that kind of stuff. Or you might like ballads. Or, and as long as they don't violate biblical commands or biblical principles, it's okay to listen to those within, within that genre, okay? Now, so what's a personal conviction uh, versus a preference? Okay, what, what would that fit? Convictions or preferences? Okay, what is the difference between that and a preference then? Okay, convictions come from the Lord in what sense? I, you're, you are on the right track. Somebody help her out. Convictions come from the Lord in what sense? Our prayer life, I would agree with that. Where else does a conviction come from? Okay, I, I will not, I, I have biblical principles that point out these things. A conviction is this idea, and listen, we use, independent Baptists, we use that term too loosely sometimes. A conviction ought to be something that you will never bend on. And if you bend on it, it wasn't a conviction, it was a preference. But there are some things in our lives, based on Bible principles, that it is a conviction, I will never do it. Okay, I believe that the Bible is filled up with references to alcohol. You go to the book of Isaiah, and the Bible talks about wine in the, uh, while it's in the skin still, while it's still on the vine. Okay, And so I think the, the, when the Bible talks about wine being a good thing, it's talking about pure grape juice. Okay, I don't think there's any question there. I have a conviction that based on Bible principles and Bible commands that I will stay away from alcohol. Okay, that's not a preference. Now, there are a lot of Christians who would have a preference with that. Modern-day American Christians who would say, well, you know what? The Bible uses wine interchangeably. If you start to study it out, it, the Bible is very clear on that kind of stuff. But... A conviction that says, I will never bend on that area. It will not happen. Now, can I tell you this? That many of us, when it comes to our daily lives, we say we have convictions, but then we get involved in some sort of entertainment or going someplace or hanging around with certain people, and those convictions very quickly become preferences. Because I like that television show. I like that style of music. I like hanging around with those people. I like these things. Christy and I were watching a television show uh, just last night that uh, is on Netflix. And the first two seasons were filmed on broadcast television. And uh, we, ha we didn't watch them when it was made a few years ago. And then Netflix had picked it up and filmed the third season. 
And so we've just finished watching the first two seasons, and we got done with the, the last night, we watched the very last part, like the last 10 minutes of the last uh, telev- the episode that had been filmed for television, that had to meet all the television guidelines. And so we just left it playing, and you know, it automatically plays the next episode, which happened to be one that was filmed for Netflix. Well, when it popped up, up in the top corner, it said TVMA, you know, mature audience. We're like, wait a minute now. This has had a few cuss words, but nothing. By the time we had gotten 20 minutes into that, we made a decision, we're not going to be able to finish this series because they had had two men kissing. They had uh, a scene where they had a guy get out of bed without any clothes on and walk away from you. And we're just like, oh my goodness, (laughs) find the off button. (gasps) But you know what? I had to make a decision right there. Is this a preference or a conviction? You see, a preference says, well, I wish it wasn't in there, but I'm going to keep on watching it. Whereas a conviction says, I'm not going to watch that stuff. And that means that here we are two years into a three-year episode thing, and I just don't get to finish it now. Teenagers, you're going to have to make decisions that are hard sometimes. The people you hang out with, adults, you're going to have to make hard decisions sometimes about going places. We went on Madeline's uh, graduation. We were down in Pensacola. Can I tell you this? We went to a restaurant uh, that was down by Pensacola Beach. And the clothing that some of the people, or the lack of clothing, maybe the better way to say it, that some of the people at the restaurant had was worse than anything we saw anywhere near the beach. You know, I have to make a decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to do this? What am I going to wear? Are we going to go to the beach? Are we not? What are we going to do? You see, somewhere in there, convictions and preferences are separated. And I have to decide what's a conviction based on Bible things or what am I going to push off to become a preference? Even though I have a conviction that I shouldn't do this, I'm going to do it. You know what that's called? To him that knows to do right and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Sin. And so then we've got this last uh, step here, stumbling blocks, and that's where we have gotten to in our lesson time. And so if you would be so kind as to give me just a few minutes, we're going to talk about this idea of stumbling blocks. Um, Romans, Roman, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. But uh, we're going to, let me read a couple of verses of you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 9, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. The idea of abhorring, the definition of that, by the way, it's only used one time in our King James Bible. I like this definition. It says to dislike, to abhor, and then the third definition, have a horror of. Listen, that's, God, that's what God tells to us about evil. We ought to have a horror of it. It ought to scare us to death. How many of you, you have a choice? Snakes, you're walking through a field and there's grass 10 inches high and a snake comes up and surprises you. Choice number two, you're walking through the woods and there are spider webs all over the place, and you know that somewhere there was a spider that made those webs. How many of you would prefer snakes over spiders? 
How many of you said, I'll take the spiders all day long? How many of you say, just dig me a six-foot hole, all right? I'm dead already. Okay, that would be some of us. Listen, we, that's, that's horror. Please don't let it happen. I'll take spiders all day long, snakes, no way. I've told you the story before when I was, I don't know, probably seventh, eighth grade. I was with my cousins and we had gone back and we were spending a week up at my grandparents without my parents. You know, they let us go. To my, and my, my grandparents lived across the road from each other. And so all the cousins got together and we went way back into the woods and we were going to build an underground fort that week. And so we took shovels. And every day we'd march back and we'd spend four or five, six hours digging. We had this hole. It was seven foot by seven foot. And we got to digging and we got foot down and two foot down and three foot down, down deep enough that we're having to throw the dirt. And man, that, that last couple feet, it took forever to get that last. And we spent about four days digging this hole seven by seven and it was about six foot deep. And then we we're going to put, cut some branches down, put some sticks over the top, and we we're going to have an underground fort. Well, the last night, we got it all done. We were getting ready to build the fort the next day. <clears throat> and we were talking to my grandpa. And we said, hey, it's back here, and you got to come see this thing. We don't want you to fall in the hole, Grandpa, you know. you got to come see this. Well, he said, wait a minute, where is it at? He said, would you describe it to me? So we start describing it to him. He said, that's not on my property. That's on my neighbor's property. So we got to spend the whole next day filling in that hole. We filled in that hole, and right next to it were some woods. And we were so dejected. I mean, just, we had spent, I mean, we're five days into this now. My, our week up there is almost gone, and we wasted the whole thing digging a hole and having to fill it back in. And so we're just looking around at the edge of the woods. You know, we don't have any time left. And there was a stump about that big around that was all rotten. And you know what boys do, you know, they start, when they're mad, they just start beating on things, you know. And so we've got all these shovels and pickaxes, and so we go over to that stump, and we're just mad at that stupid stump because our holes got filled in. And so we start kicking and smacking, and that, that uh, stump was getting loose. And so we, we all put the shovels down, and we just start kicking as hard as we can in the same direction. And when we kick that stump over, there was a snake's nest in there. And I'm telling you, it must have been 15 million snakes that came out of that thing. Because they went everywhere. They weren't very big, about that big. But I'm telling you, we ran all, there were, it was me and my two brothers and Ted and Joel. And I think there was one, I think there were at least six of us. We all ran different directions and every one of us stepped on snakes getting away from there. I despise snakes to this day, all right? I mean, the, the, my favorite snake is the one that's on the ground while I'm on a lawnmower, and he's shooting out the chute on the side of the mower, okay? That's my favorite kind of snake. That's the only snake that I like, all right? They just, they terrify me. That ought to be our, our desire towards sin. We abhor it. It is a horror to us. Now jump forward with me, if you would, to Ephesians, or 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. And if you look down with me in uh, verse number, let's see, let's, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, I'm sorry about that. And pick up with me, if you would, in verse number 9. The Bible says, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours because, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Remember, we've been talking about Christian liberty. That was all of these principles that we looked at with Bible commands and, and Bible principles and uh, convictions and preferences and stumbling blocks. This is how we express our Christian liberty. 
So verse number 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see, see thee which hath, hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through the, thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when you sin so against the brethren, now catch that, but when you sin so, this idea of being a stumbling, stumbling block and misapplying your Christian liberty can cause you to sin against your Christian brother and sister. Verse number 12, But when you, so, when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Real quick uh, story. Y'all know the gist of this, okay? Basically, in the, in the, the Roman world at that time, Rome worshipped everything. All right, And so any of the temples that you went to, they would have meat that had been offered to those idols. Well, because once it was offered to the idols, the priests didn't need all that meat, and so they would make extra money off it by selling that meat very cheap, all right? And so what you've got here is you've got a situation where some of the Christians had been saved out of that, out of that idol worship and worshiping those exact idols that that meat had been offered to. And so what they were doing is they said, I've got to stay away from that because it could suck me back into that idol worship. And I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been redeemed from my sins. I've got to stay away from that. But then you've got other mature Christians. They've been saved long enough and they say, it holds no, it holds no appeal to me. It doesn't draw me in whatsoever. And so I can go down to that local temple and I can buy a chunk of that meat and I'll just look at it as, man, I got a nice ribeye real cheap. But here's the problem. The weaker Christians would look at those stronger Christians and they say, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense to me yet. I mean, why? You're eating that meat that's been offered to idols. And so then the stronger Christian would start to make the uh, appeal to the weaker Christians say, well, hey, it's just meat that's been offered. It's no big deal. You ought to do it too. It'll, it'll help you save a few bucks, man. You know, no problem. Just do that. And in the process, those weaker Christians would follow the example of that older Christian, and then all of a sudden, they're sucked back into that idolatry. The problem was not the meat. The problem was that the quote-unquote stronger Christians did not have a care and a concern for, their, for the weaker Christians. And understand that Christian liberty is the right, the ability to approach God on the way that I see this Bible teaches. Can I tell you this? The Bible teaches all through it that we ought to serve one another. The Bible teaches us that my rights end if it affects someone else. Paul put it this way, I'll become all things to all men so that I might reach some. And he wasn't talking in this idea, I can do whatever. He said the next verse, but not without law to Christ. In other words, he was saying, I'll restrict myself if that's what I have to do to reach that person for Christ or to be an influence on that person for Christ, I'll restrict myself. I'm not going to offend Christ. I'm not going to sin against Christ. So I'm not going to widen up and do something wrong. But if I have to restrict my rights to reach someone, I will, be, I will gladly restrict my rights. And we as Christians, if we have the attitude that my rights are my rights and I'll do whatever I please... Can I tell you this? The Bible says right there that you're offending other Christians and it is sin against Christ. 
It's not just a sin against that other Christian. It's a sin against Christ. Why? Because your attitude is wrong. We live in America. All my rights are my rights. I can do whatever I want to. In the news lately, we, uh, there has been Ja Morant. You know, and back a few months ago, he waved around that gun at the nightclub. He was drunk and everything. And then just, just a week and a half ago, he got caught on that video waving the gun around. Well, can I tell you, we live in America. Um, gun, he, if, if, it's, if it's a legally uh, uh, registered firearm, he has, he has the right to have that. So what's the big deal? Can I tell you what the big deal is? He plays basketball for the National Basketball Association. They pay him millions and millions and millions of dollars. And they realize that he is an example to hundreds of thousands of young people. And so they have written in their contract that NBA players cannot be seen brandishing weapons. You see, he signed up. And if he wants to make the money and the fame that the NBA players make, then he has to uh, limit himself even further than our, than our American principles, our American uh, rights would limit. Why? Because he's making boatloads of money off of it. It already cost him $39 million two weeks ago when he, didn't, when he w should have made one of the all-NBA teams but because he had been suspended for a bunch of games. He didn't make it, and so he went from, uh, what do they call it, a max contract to a super max, or he went from a, what would have been a super max to a max. cost him $39 million. I've never made a $39 million mistake, all right? I've never had the opportunity to make a $39 million mistake. But let's take that principle and put it to Christians. As a Christian... Because of the privilege of knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, the privilege of representing the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I have to be willing to say, you know what, as an American, I may have all these rights, but as a Christian, I'm willing to give up some of those American rights because I serve a greater than the American President and the American Congress. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. What's your attitude towards that? Are you willing to limit yourself more? Or do you say, oh no, I'm, whatever the American government says, I'm going to go as far as I can. See, that's not a Bible principle. Let me give you six real quick principles or thoughts about your liberty in Christ and then we'll be dismissed. Number one, the principle of exaltation. The principle of exaltation. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to what? The glory of God. First thought process in this exercise of my Christian liberty is my God going to be glorified in the choice that I make. Second principle, the principle of excess. Hebrews 12.1 Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Why does Paul differentiate between weight and sin? Is the weight sin? I don't think so. The sin's sin, but you know what the weight does? It holds you back from the full potential that God has for you. It's one of those areas where we say, there's nothing wrong with it. It's okay. I can do that, but it's not the best for me. It's just okay. So my Christian liberty, principle of exaltation is God glorified. Principle of excess, all right? Is the particular act, activity or action really necessary or is it something that's not important enough 
to take place in my life because I've got too many more important things to do. Third one, the principle of edification. 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul said this, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. The idea, we have in our English language the word edifice. What is an edifice? Does anybody know? It is a large or huge or mammoth building. It's an edifice. You go downtown and there are some edifices down there. We've, take, we've taken the, our missionaries down to the Peabody Hotel and taken them all the way up to whatever it is, the, is it the 17th floor, or I don't know how there are many, 15th floor, whatever, up to the top and you can go up to the top of it and you look out and you can see all the city around you, around you. But if you get close, you can see the Peabody Hotel. It's huge. It took time to build it all up. The principle of edification is, is it something that's building me up? Am I helping build others up by the actions that I take? Am I expressing, putting into action my Christian liberty in a way that will help me to grow and help others to grow? Fourth principle, the principle of example. Do my actions set a good example for others to follow, especially for those who are new in their Christian faith? First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12. We're all familiar with that. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer. And then it goes into many areas that we ought to be an example in. Am I an example of what a Christian is? Can I tell you this? American Christianity is as an overall a category, pretty lousy examples of what a Christian ought to be. What about you? I have to answer for me. Am I a good example? Am I a poor example? What about you? Would anybody know that you are a Christian by the way you live your life, the language you speak, the entertainment you choose, the, the uh, places you go, the people you hang around with, the way you dress, the way you act, the way you respond to people? You see, we have Christian liberty, but my liberty ought to show, provide an example. The principle of expediency. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, verse we just looked at, he said all things are, 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 that not all things are expedient or helpful. Are my actions useful or are they helping other people? Not only do they not, we looked at edification from that verse, but also expedient. Do they push me forward? Do they not just build up, but do they, they make sense? Can I march forward and say, you know what? I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to, I'm not going to have to retrace. Remember back in our, our theme verse there, we were looking at this idea, or I'm sorry, in Psalm 101, I, don't, I'm, I hate those who turn aside. Is it expedient? The quickest uh, direction from point A to B to point B is what? A straight line, all right? If I zigzag, it takes more effort and more energy. It takes more steps. If you're using your app on your phone, it takes more gasoline, you know, as you're going from here to there. It, now Google, uh, or Google Maps, it'll pop up the little green leaf, you know, tell you which one, which direction is the most fuel efficient. You know, if I go this direction, now it might take me 20 minutes longer because it's all downhill, you know, and 20 mile an hour, but hey, it'll save you, it'll save you, you know, 13% on your fuel as you're going through there. Hey, as a Christian, we ought to be looking for expediency, though. What can I do to be most effective for Christ? And then the last principle, the principle of evangelism. Take your Bibles over with me and flip over to Colossians chapter number 4, if you would. Colossians chapter number 4. Look with me down in verse number 5. 
The Bible says there in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 5, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. Who, are, who is he talking about? Who's Paul talking about to the Colossian believers when he says, walk in wisdom to them that are without? Who's he talking to? About. Okay, to unsaved people. Okay? He says, walk in wisdom toward them. And then look at the next thing. Redeeming the what? Time. Listen, we've only got so much opportunity to witness to people. Sometimes it may be just a matter of a few words, a few moments. Sometimes a matter of days or weeks. Sometimes a job that we've held for 15 years or 50 years. Sometimes a relationship that lasts our whole lifetime. We don't know how long the time is, though. And so the Bible says when it comes to our relationship and our actions and our expression of our Christian liberty, I've got to make sure that I am walking in wisdom to those who are unsaved. I've got to redeem the time because I don't know how much time there's going to be. And it's my responsibility to make use of every moment God gives me to serve him. If Christians would take this principle of Christian liberty and not, oftentimes what we do is we turn liberty into license. We pull out our wallet and we say, hey, look it. This card says that I'm saved. I can do whatever I want to. Once saved, always saved. I'm always going to heaven. There's no place in the Bible that says, once saved, always saved, so live however you want to. In fact, they ask, the Roman Christians ask Paul that. They say, hey, Paul, you've been talking about this grace of God thing and how, how gracious God is and how merciful is and how God will always forgive us. we got a question for us. Since God's gracious and merciful and forgiving of sinners, should we sin more so that God's grace can abound? And Paul used in the Greek one, uh, two words, may ginamai, which means may it never not be. It was a grammatically incorrect double negative. Paul basically was saying, without calling them idiots, y'all are a bunch of idiots thinking that way. He said, may it never not be that you would sin just because you're trying to show the grace of God. There's enough sin in going around that God's grace is abundantly clear. You and I are to be an example to those around us. This idea of Christian liberty is wonderful. It's why I can get to choose what church I get to, come, get to go to. First Baptist Church of Atoka, enjoy being here. When we were on vacation, we went to uh, Smyrna Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida, where we were surprised that the Doherty's were down there. We got to enjoy them. And it was Mother's Day, and they handed out nothing bunt cakes to all of the mothers. I mean, whoo, it was, it was amazing, all right? We, it, we had a great time, great service. Pastor Adams preached a good service. They've got a mission board. The Nazis that we support came out of that mission board. And so I was going down there and I told Pastor, we, we didn't know anything about the mission board. And so I said, I would check it out. We'll go to that church while we're down there. And a church of like faith, any of you, if you're in Pensacola, Florida, I would encourage you to visit Smyrna Baptist Church. You would have, you would have enjoyed the service. It was a lot of fun. But I get to choose what church I go to. I get to church, choose how I worship God. But just because I get to choose doesn't mean I should make stupid choices. We get after young people for doing that sometimes. They get free. They get turned 16 and they get that driver's license. You know, and they get going and they want to do whatever they want to. And once in a while they do stupid things. And we might be 50 years old and we have the freedom that nobody's going to tell me what to do anymore. I pay all my own bills and we do stupid things. And in our Christian life, 
Nobody's going to tell me how I have to act. I'm a Christian. I'm saved, and I get to go to heaven no matter what. Listen, don't go to heaven no matter what. Go to heaven where God will say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Teenagers, adults, pastoral staff, talking to myself, we ought to use our Christian liberty to be an influence on the people around us, to build up fellow Christians, to build up ourselves, to build up the kingdom of God. Not to say, I get to do whatever I want. You know, your goal ought to be to do whatever your Savior wants you to do. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time around your word tonight. Thank you for these folks who have very graciously and faithfully taken time in the middle of their week uh, to come and to, to sit before you in prayer and to lift up all of these different prayer requests and then to listen to me as we open up the Word of God. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to exercise this Christian liberty and make the choice to come and worship our God and our Savior. In your name we pray, amen.